Little Red Riding Hood's mother found the little girl, the little girl, deep in the forest. Was that meant to be Russian or British accent? I know, damn it. (sighs) By saying damn it, I'm assuming you mean it was meant to be British. Yes, it was Even though it sounded nothing Little Red Riding Hood was found in the woods, covered in a pile of leaves. We have not positively identified the body. Babe, you have one accent. You wound me. You wound me deeply. One and a half, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Love means we can say hard things. (sighs) Some things are harder than others. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. I'm Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 82 talking about Words of Radiance. Chapters 28 through 34 written by Brandon Sanderson. On our next book club, we'll be covering interlude number five all the way through chapter 38. Would you like to tell them our spoiler policy? Our spoiler policy is that Chad has not read this series yet. I have read it, but we are not going to be spoiling any plot points that happen past chapter 34 of The Words of Radiance. We will also not be spoiling any plot points that happen in any of the other Cosmere-related works, because Chad has not read those either. So you're getting a, a fresh, virginal viewpoint of this magnificent book. It's true. Good word choice. Thank you. I like it. So what did you think of this section? Well, I'm supposed to ask you that. Oh. I forgot our roles here on the podcast here briefly. But it was exciting. What did you think? It was a good section. It was a good section. I enjoyed it. I had to stop reading halfway through chapter 32. Oh, that's which, right. <laughs> which was where the fight occurs. I had to go to bed not knowing the outcome. Was it because somebody was grumpy about the light from your e-reader being on so late? It might have been. It <laughs> might it might have been. I wasn't going to bring that particular reason up, but you know, since you threw yourself under the bus. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was a it was a good section. I thought that the fight would be sort of the culminating event and we got this bonus chapter in 34 where we where we have the conflict with Tin and Shalon coming to a head. That was pretty good as well. So you yeah. ready to get started? Yeah, I'm excited to hear your feedback. So chapter 28 is called Boots. Boots! Boots. It's con artist boarding school and class is in session. <laughs> Tin is educating Shalon about the finer points of disguise and subterfuge. The training is right up Shalon's deceptive alley. When a group of Dalinar's patrolmen, led by Kaladin, come across their caravan, Tin tricks Shalon into pretending to be a horn-eater princess. Hilarity ensues, and Shalon charms Kaladin right out of his boots. Good one. She did charm him right out of his... She, she did. somethinged him right out of his she, boots. Yes, yeah, she did. I don't so, know if charm's the right word. I don't want to 
skip the snapter here, but I do kind of maybe at the end want to read it and go over it because some of the snapters in this section have some important information. But let's talk about the chapter first. Let's talk about it. First thing I noted is that people from Bob have the default fantasy accent. <laughs> Oi, mate. Oi, it's right good on me tushy. Like, <laughs> yes. Like that is the default. The Bovlanders. Yeah, the Bovlanders. They're from they're from Bristol. <laughs> so yeah, that was the first thing I noted, and then the second thing I noted is that Tin talked about what she was doing down south, hanging out with the movers and shakers. Down south is where Shalon came from. See, I went somewhere totally dirty there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were you were setting it up for... Uh, for a little something different. For a little something different. Yakovet is actually sort of to the west of Alethkar. So they mm. both have a north and a south. No, what I was saying is that Tin said that what she was doing before she joined the caravan was down to the south. And I think we find out later what that was. We do. I'm just saying that we get sort of a hint here prior to the reveal. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that's what's being hinted at there. Yeah, and we find out that she, according to her, is involved with the movers and shakers, the things... The people who make the world go. I mean, not I to brag or anything. I just had a potential epiphany. Yeah. Down to the south, we have where Shalon and Yasna's boat wrecked. We also have Tin coming from up in that area. She's inspired by the Ghost Bloods. The only other person of note we know down that area who is somehow also pulling a lot of strings and is a mover and shaker making things go in the world, is Teravangian. Mm-hmm. Is Teravangian a ghost blood? We do not know at this point. We don't know m- much about either of those. Hmm. But I like the way you think. File that one away. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I remember thinking when she mentions that she was down south, I was like, huh, just like Yasna and Shalon. Probably a coincidence. <laughs> right. Rolled right on through it. Yeah. The only other thing I noted in this chapter is Shalon is putting herself into a bad situation with Kaladin. She's positioning herself as a liar to the head of the Colleen family bodyguard. So when he sees her, he's going to be suspicious of her. I mean, I know that's an obvious point, but... It's just frustrating. It's just a frustrating thing that, you know, she sort of listens to Tin and not that she ever would have been able to anticipate. I'm not faulting anybody, but it's just like, oh, yeah, you're meant you to feel that one. up. You're meant yeah. to feel that frustration. Yeah. Obviously, Shalon doesn't know that Kaladin is the head of Dalinar's bodyguard. As far as she knows, these are just some random soldiers. And it, at some point she thinks, gee, I hope I don't run across these random soldiers again. Well, he says that he was the body, a bodyguard in the Colin family. And she was like, oh, great. Right. But she can't know that he's as closely affiliated. And, and, and again, she finds that out after she's kind of gone with mm-hmm. what Tin was, the game that Tin started. You know, it, 
at first I had a bigger problem with this part because mm-hmm. it felt like one trope I hate almost more than anything else is when a character does something idiotic just to make a conflict or a plot point happen. Mm. At the same time, the more I read it and the more like ha- having just had the reinforcement of how desperate her situation is and the uncertainty of what's going to happen when she gets to the planes, I bought it a little bit more because she needs a foothold at the Shattered Plains in case things with the colons go awry. And so I, I think the way that she's playing along with Tin and kind of keeping her as a resource, I kind of get why she does that. I would agree with you. That's a trope that I don't like. I didn't feel it was egregious here. Also, I think it's interesting to point out that when Kaladin and the men run away, Shallan draws Joy Spren, which she notes are very rare. Mm, yeah. So part of her loves what she's doing. You know, there's a part of her character that, well, keeping secrets and lies is an, has been a part of her life since she's been a child. Mm-hmm. But there's a part of her that does this, plays along with this whole act just because she wants to. Well, and what better way to get practice? And I mean, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I am offend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a charming little interlude. It was good. Definitely not going to be good when she runs into Kaladin again. No. So a couple of things I noted. One is well, Tin and Shallan are... So Tin is teaching Shallan all the ins and outs of imitating different people, different accents. She gives her a little bottle of eye drops mm. that will turn her eyes temporarily brown for a few hours. And I thought it was interesting that Shallan asks her, "Is are there eye drops that will do, do the, the opposite?" opposite. Yeah. And she asks with a sense of horror and like revulsion, like, "Oh, you know." I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, H- how deeply ingrained that that Voren culture is. You know, we see it later too when she's the topic of her going out with her left hand uncovered is brought up. Mm-hmm. So that's all very deeply ingrained in her. I think it's interesting, too, to kind of compare the two mentors that Shalan has had, going right from Yasna to Tin, and both of them actually have a lot in common. They're both, like, lonely older women who are excellent at what they do, but tend to push other people away just by virtue of who they are. One is chaotic good and one is chaotic neutral, I guess, is really the only difference. But it's just interesting to see her kind of fall in with like almost seems the opposite of Yasna, but in a way she's really very similar. There's more similarity than you would think. So before we move on, let's talk about the snapter snap for chapter 28. Snap. I'm going to read it. it and then we can take it apart. It goes like this. The betrayal of Spren brought us here. They gave their surges to human heirs, but not to those who know them most dear before us. Tis no surprise we turned away, unto the gods we spent our days, and to become their molding clay, they changed us. You've been snapped, So that's interesting. It is. We know that the Parshendi gods now were not always part of their story, part of their makeup. You know, this snapter seems to tell us that there was a time before the gods where the Spren betrayed the Parshendi by giving their surges to humans. 
Hmm. At least that's how I'm reading this. That's how I read it as well. And then they turned away, and that's when they turned to their gods, which which I think we know are some kind of void spread. So that's some interesting information. It is. What do you take from that? So the interesting thing is that it, their perception is, and it's stated outright, that the Spren betrayed them. Interesting, because the Spren feel like they were betrayed by humans. So, so we've got a really twisted love triangle here. <laughs> well, and the idea that the Spren betrayed the Parshendi by forming the Nahel Bond with humans to give them the surges. Yep. And that caused the Parshendi to turn to their gods. Ah, okay. So it makes it sound like the Parshendi gods weren't always around. I accept your supposition. Why, thank you, Mr. Duke. It would be foolish of me not to. All right, let's move on to chapter 29. It's called Rule of Blood. Sadius has just won a gem heart. According to the king's new policy, it was supposed to be won by Hatham and Royon, but Sadius snuck ahead and defeated the Parshendi before they could get there. He does this just to thumb his nose at the king, despite Amaram's urging him to make peace. After the battle, Sadius and Iale watch Adolin's latest duel. Sadius is impressed by Adolin's ability to fight below his skill level, managing to win in a way that appears lucky. He decides to try and manipulate Adolin into going over the edge. He tells Iale to stop discouraging others to duel him. What was the name of the chapter again? Rule of Blood. Rule of Blood. Sounds like an 80s horror movie. It does, yeah. You could find the VHS copy. It would have, <laughs> it would have a teacher standing in front of a, a group of students, but the teacher was a skeleton. <laughs> I'd watch it. Kids were all like, oh, no. You wouldn't watch it, though. No, Don't that's a lie. lie. That's a lie. I wouldn't. You would not watch that. <laughs> Even today, you wouldn't watch that. Correct. Definitely not in the 80s. There's no lie there. <laughs> How old were you when you watched your first horror movie? I was 16 years old. Wow. And it was Nightmare on Elm Street, and it was terrible. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why anyone would do that to themselves. I was seven, and it was Poltergeist. Oh, <laughs> See, and then all through college, I made myself because it was like roller coasters. Like everyone else loves them so much. So there must be something I'm missing. I'll just keep torturing myself with this experience over and over again. It took me like 15 years before I was finally like, roller coasters suck. <laughs> so do horror movies and scallops. Oh, I'm just saying. Pencil erasers of the sea, okay? <laughs> Scallops are awesome. Yuck. Might be one of my favorite things ever. So Sadius, it turns so out, Sadius. is personally responsible for the Parshendi never surrendering. Yeah, Sadius, he's kind of a dick. I think if we hadn't Damn. gotten that before, he definitely is. Man. So he says, never again did they deny him his, quote, right to finish a battle, quote, properly. So my, my question is, in this context, properly and right according to what? Is it according to the Voran religion? Is it, or is it a cultural thing? So I think what we've learned about Sadius is that he is almost entirely driven by the need for conquest. 
that he really, that's his main motivation is just wanting conquest. And so as long as Dalinar, that's what Dalinar was about, he was cool with Dalinar. Once Dalinar started worrying about honor and codes and doing the right thing, all of a sudden, well, Dalinar must be tripping. He's got to go. Well, my question is, is this a cultural thing or is this an inside Sadius head thing? Because we get the impression that Alethi culture is all about conquest. So that would mean that Sadius is lining up with the cultural norms. Perhaps he's a little more aggressive about it, assertive towards it than others, but but that's the impression that I get. But is that because I get that impression from Sadius or am I getting it from everybody? I think you're accurate in saying that Sadius seems to be an extreme example of what the Alethi prize and value. But I think maybe for other high princes, it might be more about greed or other things. For Sadius, it's just all about the conquest. Mm -hmm. So he's still using Bridgman as well. He seems to have replaced all of his Bridgman very quickly. Yes, yep. I think he probably just took the bottom tier of his soldiers and said, guess what? So Amaram confronts Sadius, albeit he confronts him in a very lukewarm manner. But he says to him that we have to be together and we have to be strong for what is coming. But how would he know what's coming? Good question. What does he think is coming? Seems like he thinks the Voidbringers are coming just like everybody else. But not everybody else, really. Well, I mean everybody who's sort of in the know. Right. So, but that's interesting because it puts Amaram in sort of select company, but Amaram has not been surrounded by Dalinar and Kaladin and Syl and all these other people. That's true. So how does he know? It's a good question. So who do you think is a worse villain, Amaram or Sadius? <sighs> worse in what way? Like more evil or like not as well written? In, like- in the tier of villains, yeah. In terms of evilness, of just being the worst. The Emperor. No, the Emperor is not an option. Between Amaram and Sadius. But the Emperor is the worst. I mean, Sadius at this point, just because I know he's a shithead. He is. You know, for me, Amaram is is almost worse, though. Because Sadius at least is true to what he believes and what he thinks. And... He's not like he doesn't have to deceive himself that somehow he's doing things with honor or for a greater good. You know, Amram is just sort of like Sadius. He's like he's like pussy Sadius. Milk toast. Milk toast Sadius. Exactly. He's milk toast evil. He's like, I'm not I'm not I'm not that bad of a guy. I'm a nice guy, really. (laughs) I don't know why the girl I don't know why the girls like mean guys like Sadius. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) I'm, I'm just a good too guy. nice. I deserve a hot chick. I'm just saying, 80% of his Facebook posts are him complaining about how he does everything for everyone, and when he needs help, no one will be there for him. <laughs> so Sadius and Amram appear to have some sort of, quote, understanding. Yes. Though, again, we don't know what that is. Right. But it seems to mean Sadius has something on him, some sort of dirt I mean, the obvious thing would be that he knows 
where the shard blade came from and how mm-hmm. he got it. Which would be interesting if that is what Sadius feels like he, quote, has on, unquote, Amaram, because Kaladin just would have ruined the power of that reveal, that piece of information. Although I think in this chapter, Sadius says something along the lines of that he and Amram have an understanding and Amram being a shard bearer now wasn't going to change that. Correct. So whatever was going on between them predates Amram getting the shards. Mm, Yeah, that's one, yeah. And really, that's actually a relatively recent turn of events. The shard blade. Get him getting the shard blade, True. even though yeah. we read about it like fifteen hundred pages ago. Um, as far as these characters, that's only happened in in the last few years. My last note is that Sadius throwing the gem heart at Hatham's feet feels to me a lot like Boromir taking the ring to from Frodo and giving it back to him. Yeah, being like, as you wish, I care not. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, that wasn't a planned thing. That was a spur-of-the-moment yeah. action. So what do we think of Iale at this point? Uh, she's just as creepy as he is. Yeah. She reminds me of the cat that all the villains pet. It's <laughs> so perfect. Right? Yeah. He's even scratching her back like he, a cat. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. If the cat in all the Bond villain movies could talk, mm-hmm. they would be Iali. Yeah. And what do we think about Sadius's assessment of Adolin, that his brashness and temper are going to make him easy to manipulate? I think that Brandon Sanderson thinks that we're easy to manipulate. You might not be wrong. This whole book has been about, look at how much of a dude bro Adolin is. Right. So this just sort of plays into it. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that Sadius is going to make this attempt to appeal to his dude Bronus and think he's like Amaram, and we'll find out he's not. That's one of the things I really like about Adolin's character because I think Brandon Sanderson does a good job portraying him as a dude bro, but also showing the deeper character growth that's happening underneath with him coming slowly to realize that his father is right, and so on. Well, and we see a little bit more of that later in the section as well. Yes. So it's a nice character arc that he has. Chapter 30 is called Nature Blushing. Shallan's caravan runs across an oasis, and Shallan geeks out over the chance to draw some plants again. She draws an idealized sketch of Gaz, the sixth of the deserters, to ask her for one. Then she gets into the drawing zone and ends up with a few sketches that seem vaguely prophetic. Before she has much of a chance to ponder them, she's interrupted by Tin. Tin is impressed with Shallan and and excited to introduce her to her contacts on the plains, but she's worried that Shallan's innocence is going to hold her back. Shallan tries to tell Tin that her life hasn't been all blossoms and cake, but she isn't convinced. They discuss Shallan's non-existent scam, and Shallan wonders how she's going to deal with Tin when they reach their destination. Nature Blushing also sounds like an 80s movie, not a horror movie. (laughs) I mean, I think it sounds like a really frou-frou, like organic, 
women's sanitary item? <laughs> no, now that is definitely the kind of movie you had to wait until your parents were in bed to wake up. <laughs> and see, I didn't see any of those either. Through the scrambled. Very little experience with that as well. You never watched the scrambled cable? No. No, I did not. Shalana's at this point had uh, maybe a week of practice mm -hmm. with accents and sleight of hand, palming things, etc. If she becomes a member of the Gentleman Bastards, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> you know, if she's pulling these grandiose heists and, you know, pulls a card from the middle of the deck with her pinky and palms it, that's going to be a little too far for me to go with this whole ruse. Well, we forget that Shalon has magical powers where the Gentleman Bastards did not. So, bit of an edge there. Gotcha. I also noted that I don't think there are any birds in Roshar. There are songlings. But they're not birds. Right. How would a bird live? By eating things off the ground? They're... In a, in a high storm, how would a bird survive? Ah, they can't fly above the high storm? I guess not, yeah. They have, they have chickens. All the way over in Shinovar, where mm -hmm. they're protected by the mountains. Exactly. And what's funny, and is a, a bit of a very subtle running gag, if you keep an eye out for it, is that Rosharans call all birds chickens. Really? <laughs> like, look at that strange chicken over there. <laughs> yeah, when you think about the the land and, and what creatures had to develop in order to survive the storms well then how do sky eels survive we assume I, I have no idea maybe they can also swim i'm assuming they tun can tunnel into the ground or they can swim or whatever all right so whatever happens with shallan's character wherever she goes one of the things that i'll always appreciate is how she treats people in a way where she expects the best of them her trying to make the men better by helping them envision themselves as better than they are. That's something I, I like about her and her relationship with all the people who are around her on this caravan. And it's such a neat exploration of objective versus relativistic truth. You know, especially as it relates to who we are as people and the importance of perception in who a person becomes and how a person sees the truth and how a person sees the truth about themselves. And that's really, at this point, we've seen Shalon's main gift has been able to transform people into a better version of themselves, which is interesting because we know that her two surges are transformation and illumination. And transformation is soul casting, or that's how it's traditionally seen, but she also seems to have this other kind of transformative power. More of a soul, personal kind of level. Right. I thought it was um, interesting, too, you know, Tin accusing Shalon of naivete, when in fact Shalon is kind of scamming her. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention the fact that we know that Shalon, her life really has not been all cake and blossoms. It has not. Now, she is naive. In a lot of ways, yes. But but not weak. Right, and Tin, we were led to believe that Tin is talking about violence and or 
worldly things like that, which she assumes that Shalon has not had any experience with, even though Shalon straight up tells her, maybe I'm faking this. Maybe, you know, yeah. she's like, yeah, no, you're not. But Shalon's been lying about who she was her entire life. I also thought it was interesting that Tin chose to use the word broken. Yes. You're naive because you haven't been broken. And it it's interesting to me uh, in terms of a question that it poses is do you have to be broken to be wise and do you have to perceive everything and see everybody at their worst in order to be perceived as not being naive? Can you be wise and worldly and also be optimistic about people? There's a very astute observation. I think that's one of the main themes of this book and especially in the Shalon chapters. And especially when you compare, directly compare Shalon and Kaladin, two of the only people that we know who have attracted a spren and formed this bond, their outlooks on the world are completely different. You know, Kaladin, who grew up in a loving home and a safe family, but with depression his entire life and always looking on the negative side of things, always overthinking everything. Shalon, who grew up in a horror movie, basically, but who learned how to wall that away and be able to have this such a positive, optimistic spirit that people assume that she must be more naive than she is. So Tin talks a lot about the Colin family, which leads me to believe that she's been reading the Rosharan version of Tiger Beat magazine <laughs> because she knows all about Renarin and Elin, right? So what would be the Rosharan equivalent of Tiger Beat magazine? So they don't have tigers. Axehound. That's it? That's the name of the magazine? Yeah. Axehound? That's a metal magazine. <laughs> You're right. That might be an actual metal magazine. Now it might actually. <laughs> well, what's the teeny bopper equivalent? I think it's white spine zine. <laughs> I like it. So let's talk about Shalon's sort of trance where she's sketching and she's sort of she has two sort of visions. She sits down and first she's drawing the the men and then she's drawing the plants. And then as she's drawing the plants, she's kind of zoning out. And then she has two drawings that sort of come out of her that aren't really related to what she was thinking about. Correct. So the first is that she sees people climbing up a cliff escaping from the ocean, pulling themselves out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And she swears that one of them looks like Yalb. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking here is, so is she demonstrating some sort of remote seeing or is it more like prophecy? I mean, it could be either, but I think that's something to think about and ponder. Mm -hmm. Particularly as prophecy is seen as being something that's forbidden by Voronism, but this to me seems more like remote seeing. It does, especially if it had been this long and Yalb was only just now getting out of the ocean. Like, I don't know how that would work. Or was going to get out of the ocean prunes. weeks from now. <laughs> right. 
it probably wouldn't have made it that far. Right. I mean, it strikes me as something that has already happened. Yeah, that's what it seems like. The second is a sketch where she sees a woman holding a chisel over someone's face. And I'm like, what the hell is this? At first, I'm thinking, is she seeing some, is she getting a message about tin? Was my first thought. Mm -hmm. Like that tin is going to sculpt her, but in the process, she was going to break her because we're talking about brokenness. Mm. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what this is about. And then I thought it was somebody finding Yasna, Mm -hmm. maybe finding her body. But then I realized we've met a character Mm -hmm. who likes to smash statues and carries tools like that. Mm -hmm. And it is the mistress that we saw in Interlude 7 Mm -hmm. in The Way of Kings. Yes. Who went around and smashed statues and art and things of that nature. Then it crossed my mind that, you know... It would be really effective to hide something inside of a statue, Mm -hmm. especially in a world where people can soul cast. Mm -hmm. So it's certainly possible that you could hide something inside of a statue like that. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything else to say about it. The mistress, though, was destroying all work. Like... She wasn't just destroying statues. She was also destroying... Yeah, she was painting Paintings and, yeah. and... So we see her destroying a painting of Epan, Lady of Dreams. And that then bitch. also also destroying a statue. And I believe that you speculated that she also was responsible for the statue of the Herald Shalash being missing from Gavilar's castle in the very beginning of Way of Kings. That sounds like something I would say. You did speculate that, because I was very impressed. It's very smart, so... <laughs> I think I may have speculated that she was Shalash, and and her statue was missing. Well... But your version of what I said sounds way smarter. Well, interestingly, Shalash is Shalon's namesake and patron saint, and she writes a prayer to Shalash right before she does these oh, you're right. drawings. You are so right. So Whoa. maybe your speculation isn't that that off. Whoa. I forgot about the prayer thing. It's sort of like in King Killer where you could sort of track mentions of the moon mm-hmm. or the wind. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go back and look at all the times that prayer was mentioned and what happens adjacent to it. Right. Well, it's interesting to talk about Shalash too, because I think we've talked about her in the beginning of this book when we were discussing the conversation between the two strange men at the party. The ambassadors from the West. From the West. Yes. And one of them is frantically saying to the other, that he thinks that Ash is getting worse. And you speculated that Ash was Shalash, yeah, a herald, and yeah. that the two men were also heralds. Yeah, and that's kind of where I thought that the mistress might have been Shalash, and she was getting a little bit 
cuckoo. Because she also, the mistress, mentions casually that maybe she should get herself a shard blade. Yes. Just offhand. Just offhand. Maybe I should grab one of those. Just pick one of those up. <laughs> the shard blade emporium. Yeah. Well, apparently the place is lousy with them, so... <laughs> got to wander into Yaakovet and hold your hand out. <laughs> so we also really quickly should talk about Tin's reaction to Shalon's so-called scam. So she's, Shalon finally decides to tell her a little bit more about what she's planning on doing when they get to the Shattered Plains. She tells her about the, the engagement that Adolin is supposed to have. And, uh, Tin says, okay, it's a love scam. And she gives Shallan some pretty good advice, though. She does. She says, you need to be unobtainable with this guy. She's like, well, that's kind of hard. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm engaged to him. But, She's, I mean, you can't have a good romantic comedy without somebody having to pretend to be unattainable. Exactly. It's like she's never seen the movies. I mean, what's a good coming of age, you know, romantic high school, college sort of movie if somebody doesn't pretend to be unobtainable. Well, Shallan's pretty good at pretending. Th that she is. But Tin advises her not to let herself get set up in the Colon household. So that'll be interesting to see how she's going to manage that. So was there anything in the Snapter in Chapter 30? Yes, I'm going to read this Snapter. Are you ready? I'm ready. There's a lot of tizzes in these Snapters. Ooh. "'Tis said it was warm in the land far away "'when Voidbringers entered our songs. "'We brought them home to stay, "'and then those homes became our own. "'It happened gradually, "'and years ahead t'will be said, "'tis how it has to be.'" All right, so I'm seeing something that I hadn't seen before because, frankly, I never pay attention to them. I read them, but I don't really put a mm -hmm. lot of thought into them. These snapters are a continuation of each other. Unlike earlier in the earlier in part two where it was just like here is this form here is this right. form now it seems like they're telling more of a narrative right because this piggybacks off of what we learned in one of the earlier snapters as well yes i start paying attention now no i won't <laughs> chapter 31 is called the stillness before Kaladin returns with his patrol crew. The non-Bridge 4 bridgemen are really coming along. One of them apologizes to him for being such a wanker before they were freed. Kaladin has a vague sense of something wrong, despite everything going just right. Shallan and Tin are practicing palming spheres as they finally approach the Shattered Plains. On their last night before arriving, Tin shares news about Shallan's homeland, primarily that the Vaden king is dead, along with most of the high princes. So, short little chapter here, just sort of a breath before a lot of the action starts going. Yeah, because it gets pretty crazy from here on out. So, my first note is that this guy, Pitt, walks up to Kaladin, and he's like, I'm sorry. And Kaladin's like, for what, mate? And he goes, for this. Stab, stab, stab! <laughs> That is what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> that is not what happened. <laughs> he, he did not get Jon Snowed, no. No, I really thought when the guy comes up to him and he's like, I'm sorry. I was like, he's going to stab him. 
is not what happened. No. But my premonition about assassination was not wrong. It was not. No, and Kaladin starts the chapter by this vague sense of unease or the air seeming wrong. So we know something's going down. Mm-hmm. I like Pitt, the way that he talks about how men can be reforged. And he's basically like, hey, I'm so I'm sorry when we were bridgemen and, you know, we were all jerks to you. But, you know, we and Kaladin says, well, you can blame Sadius for that. And he says, yeah, we were broken, but we've been reforged. And it's interesting because it's the same theme that we see in Shallan's chapters. I think there's a lot of comparing and contrasting between Kaladin and Shallan. There is. It's it, interesting. They're similar in a lot of ways and in other ways, just complete opposites of each other. And we know that their Spren consider the other Spren kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. So we have the, the cryptics or the lie Spren versus the honor Spren. So I have a question for you. Okay. So Tin, mm-hmm. in my mind, sounds like one of the cigarette smoking sisters of Marge Simpson. <laughs> So is she Selma Bouvier or is she Patty Bouvier? She's definitely Selma. That's what I wrote too. Yeah. She's Selma Bouvier. Yeah, she's she's a classy broad. Yeah. <laughs> but no nonsense kind of classy. Yeah, yeah. And would refer to herself as a broad. She would. Yeah. You've never been the same since you were I'm going to start referring to myself as a broad. I like it. I'm bringing it back. Yeah, bring it back. Reclaim it. Make it your own. So where do we think Tef is? There's this whole thing about where's Tef. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't know. And he, I noted that, and then I never really came back to it because he never shows up. Right. And he doesn't show up at the end of, the, of part two either. Mm-hmm. The timing of that is suspicious. How... How long has it been since the assassination at this point? Since the assassination attempt on Elicar where they cut the railing? Oh, it's been a bit. Like, Teft has not been missing that whole time. Oh, okay. All right. Because they would have noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, chapters ago when Adolin was having his duel, Sadius and Iale were talking about that. And she was saying, oh, I found out what was, ha-, you know. Yeah, It's yeah. been days. Okay, all right, all right. Since that happened. We also have when Kaladin shows up, Rock is shoving away a lanky man in an ardent's robe. And he tells him that he's been hanging around asking to draw the bridgemen. So he can get them in White Spine Zine magazine. Something like that. That's some kind of bridgeman kink. I don't know. Are you going to make a bridgeman calendar? <laughs> Kaladin calendar? The 12 <laughs> mopes of Kaladin? <laughs> January is dreary. February is full of ennui. March, don't even get me started. (laughs) So a little bit of world building that's interesting in the conversation at the end between Tin and Shallan. And one is the moss. Yeah. So Tin at one point picks up this moss and starts rubbing it between her fingers and starts smoking and then she gets kind of she's obviously inebriated from it because she gets kind of like relaxed and and woozy that's what was going on yeah oh okay Uh, all right i have a note in here where i said why is she like closing her eyes and turning her face to the sky and rubbing her fingers 
Like I thought she was like channeling something. No, it's it seems to be connected to the moss. The more she rubs it. That's interesting. Also, I didn't catch that. Okay, thank you. The curse dry nets. Yeah. So what does it mean if it doesn't mean no fish in your net? I think the net is a vagina. You don't want that. No. I think it's like saying dry vagina. <laughs> They don't make a salve for that? <laughs> Not on the ocean. <laughs> you careful hanging out with those sailors. <laughs> Sounds really uncomfortable. Chapter 32 is called The One Who Hates. Kaladin dreams of the Stormfather. In the dream, the Stormfather accuses Kaladin of murdering his child and leaving her corpse for wicked men. He tells him that he is coming. Kaladin senses a storm of red lightning before waking, right in the middle of the king's chambers where he is on guard duty. Driven by his dream and a warning from Syl, Kaladin convinces everyone to evacuate the palace. They begin the process not a moment too soon, but before you know it, the Led Zeppelin starts blaring and in walks Seth, the assassin <laughs> in white. <laughs> An epic battle begins and ends when Kaladin throws himself and Seth out a window. That's a badass chapter, man. Dude, this is a badass chapter. This chapter is very metal. It's totally metal. I mean, just the description, the scene where they're they're rushing through the hallway and the lights are going out. Yeah. You know? And then Seth just kind of... It is... It's very horror story. It's pretty badass. It's pretty groovy. So he has this dream again with the Stormfather. Right. And the Stormfather is all, You will murder my child and leave her corpse to wicked men. I'm thinking, does Spren have a corpse? Apparently they do. And if so, what are wicked men using them for? That's a good question. I mean, I haven't seen toilet paper or corn cobs. <laughs> I don't think it's that. I mean, that would be a very expensive... Hygiene treatment. I don't think it's that. But it's a good question. Yeah. And then the Stormfather's all like, He comes. And Kaladin's like, Who? Kevin? <laughs> hey, that was a good Stormfather voice. Thank you. <laughs> I dug it. He comes. Him we call Jason. Does he want stew, too? <laughs> so, once again, we see Kaladin also floating over the continent and seeing armies hiding in the mountains. So, last time I pointed this out and you were like, yeah, why? that's not a big deal. Why are you? It's the nation's all... People are always fighting in this continent. But, it, but it's twice mentioned in the same kind of place and spot. Mm -hmm. The only thing I can think is that he's flying over Yakoved and mm -hmm. it's the war for succession. Mm -hmm. It happens in about the same spot too because not long after that, after he goes over that mountain range, he crosses over Pure Lake. Right. And while this is all going on, Syl and Pattern are both having similar reactions. Pattern's going bad, bad, so bad, and Syl's flying around going, oh, it's terrible. During Kaladin's vision, when he's out there with the Stormfather, and the Stormfather is talking about he comes, he sees this red lightning thing that we've talked about in the past. 
or something very similar to it. So this thing that Syl keeps saying, oh, it's coming. And she has likened it to a spren. And I think she even used the term void spren. But later she says, no spren guides him. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out what the deal is. Is he a void spren? Is he bonded to a void spren? Is it just a harbinger of something to come? I don't have an answer. It's just a little perplexing because I did not think that the red lightning storm thing on the distance that was coming, I did not think it was Seth. No, and we do not know that they are this one and the same. I guess that's true. What Syl actually says is, He's coming, the one who hates the darkness inside. He's watching. Something bad is about to happen. So whether there's this hateful, nebulous presence that's that has brought Seth that is kind of watching what's going on, or whether Seth is somehow directly tied to the red lightning storm, it's not made clear at this point. Check. But could be either of those things. All right. But Kaladin does say he's one of us, a radiant, and she says, no, he's something far more terrible. She also says there's something different about his shard blade. Yes. I know what it is. Really? I do, of course. What is it? It's an honor blade. It's not a regular shard blade. Kaladin walks in and he's like, we have to get out of here right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and everyone's like... We were, we were just settling down. I had another whole chapter to read in my GQ Roshar Quarterly. <laughs> but they they leave, and then they, of course they run into Seth as we've as we stated. He also hang on real quick. Kaladin also now realizes that Dalinar is having visions during the high ah, storms. Yes, that's right. So they go. They they attack him. They try to defend themselves against Seth, and Kaladin, like so many heroes before him, like Luke Skywalker, Jamie Lannister, loses his right hand. And I'm like, now this mopey son of a bitch is going to get interesting. <laughs> it's about damn time. But then it's only for a couple of pages. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that is a we'll, good point, though. Luke Skywalker and Jamie Lannister both got interesting after they lost their right hand. Yeah. They were mopey farm boy. Well, Luke Skywalker was a mopey farm boy. That's like very Kaladin. true. Jamie Lannister was not a mopey farm boy. He was a dude, bro. Well, we don't want to get we don't want to go we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, we'll get more into what happens in the next chapter. I don't want to steal any thunder from mm -hmm. chapter thirty three. Also, we see that Dalinar manages to catch the shard blade. He catches the blade. Damn! Right? You know, MythBusters did an episode on could you catch a blade. Really? They it was busted, obviously. Yes. You can catch no, it once. <laughs> no human being I mean, you could catch it 
and let it cut your hands off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, there's no no human being could actually have the speed and timing in in order that would be required to to do that. Um, I mean, obviously, Dalinar is Roshar, and he's not human. That's but different. Yeah. It, so the shard blade thing is interesting to me because like Seth walks around the quarter. I, I do love how Seth like walks around just dragging yeah. it through the stone. I'm yeah. like, that's badass. Yeah. Like such a good vision. But shard blades are so sharp or or they work on just a completely different principle that the sharp edge of the blade passes through anything. So when people are just leave like Renarin just leaves his laying around I'm like, if you accidentally kick that thing, you're going to lose the bottom half of your foot. Well, I think it's probably sheathed. Uh, maybe. But also, Sadius is like resting his on his shoulder. I'm like, if you accidentally bring that thing, like what's to stop it from just, you know, you rest it on your leg and it flips over and chops your legs off? Because it doesn't, it's not like it requires speed or effort to mm-hmm. cut. But the flat side of the blade is like just super strong steel. Right. Because I think it was Dalinar who used one to vault up a cliff face. Adolin, yes. It was Adolin who used one to his to vault up a cliff face. So you can stand on them. So you could theoretically smack the side of it and knock it out of the way. Yes. So you could then theoretically also catch it. Yes. I mean, I still think it's ludicrous, but it's also badass. It's badass. I'm, I, so I'm, I'm going to allow gonna go it. it. We're going to allow it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Blackthorn, right? It's been unleashed. <laughs> Can't see it, but it's been unleashed. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead into chapter 33, and then we'll read both the Snapters together. All right. For these two. I dig it. Chapter 33 is called Burdens. So Kaladin and Seth fall out the window. They don't die, out of course. Out the window, they fall. Kaladin manages to suck in enough stormlight to survive and to heal his arm, which was struck by Seth's shard blade. When Seth sees this, he freaks the fuck out. He screams, but they called me Truthless before asking whether they were all back. When Kaladin answers, uh, sure? Seth flees. Kaladin goes inside to deal with the aftermath of the battle. One of his men is dead, and Haber is paralyzed. So when Kaladin, quote, heaved somehow, end quote, I did not expect him to heal his hand. I expected him to, like, zoom through the air, like learn how to like move gravity around mm-hmm. like Seth does and launch himself at him or escape something along those lines. So I was very disappointed when we did not have a Luke Skywalker. That would have been a badass move though. Kaladin, who's gonna, you know, being pitched as gonna be this ultimate badass fighter loses his spear hand that would be that would have been awesome and I felt pretty short changed that he just 
sucks in some stormlight. He just kind of went, ugh. Ugh, grunted, and it came back, right? On the other hand, the second read through and calming down a little bit about it, I had to accept that the powers that Shallan and Kaladin have gained are related to their personality, things they've learned, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And Kaladin was a, a surgeon. I mean, mm-hmm. he was trained in medicine. So h- him having an ability to heal himself beyond normal means mm-hmm. seems like an appropriate power for him to have. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. And when he wakes up after all of this, after he collapses and whatever, Syl comes by and he says, why didn't you tell me I could do that? And she says, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. So that's interesting. I still think it would have been more interesting from a story standpoint if the guy who is being portrayed through all of this to be the like super badass fighter loses his hand. That would have been cool. Or he would have just moped around without a hand. I don't know, man. Well, that's just not a very Brandon Sanderson thing to do. (laughs) So when Kaladin comes back up to the room and everyone's like gets over there. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Can we take a step back for a second? So the other thing I noted here is that Seth flees because he realizes that Kaladin is like a radiant and Mm -hmm. all the things that he was ex- exiled from his home for are all false he's not truthless Mm -hmm. he's telling the truth i think his fleeing at that point was really about the only thing i could have bought for him not killing everybody there yeah so i think that was was well done Mm -hmm. is his sort of being like what the hell is going on Mm -hmm. and because his character was so well developed and and here's where I'll give Brandon Sanderson a, a, a good a real good character note it was so well developed that this character is very conflicted about this whole thing that he's doing he hates himself despises himself because of this but it's all tied to this being truthless thing so when he sees this it would for him be this major emotional thing and would be the only reason I could buy that he just didn't kill everybody in the war camps. Well, when you think back to the story that Hoyd told Kaladin right before he left about the the island of people who... He found an island. Right. And, yeah, and there they was, would murder anyone who made the slightest mistake because they thought that their king had ordered it. And found out that their king had been dead for years. Nobody knew. And that all the murders that they had been perpetrating were all on their heads. And they just tore themselves apart. And for me, that was a lot of foreshadowing as to what Seth was going to go through when he found out that, oh, no, he actually wasn't truthless and maybe didn't have to go through all of this. Now, it's interesting. Does him knowing this change his behavior? We'll find out. So when Kaladin goes back up to the room and everybody gets past there, oh my gosh, you're alive. He has a chance to tell Dalinar the truth about his abilities and he kind of chickens out. Yeah. And now would have been the time to do it. It really would have been. It really would have been. 
They're also, at the very end of the chapter, they find another set of glyphs written on the wall. Yes. This one says, 38 days, the end of all nations. So apparently the arrival of Seth to come and attempt to assassinate everybody is not the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> apparently not. So if if that's not the worst thing that could happen to your family, then 38 day, days from now is going to really suck. It's going to really suck. Another interesting thing is that Kaladin asks Syl why Seth is able to do so much more than him. And he says, is it because there are words I have left to say? And she says, well, there are words that you have left to say, but you're not ready for them yet. Also, she says, I don't think he's doing anything you couldn't learn to do. You just haven't fucking learned to do it. Right. Mopey fucking son of a bitch. Tell anybody what you're doing. Get Mm -hmm. off your goddamn couch. Turn off Breaking Bad. Put the (laughs) Cheetos back down. Get on the goddamn treadmill and train, you lazy fuck. (laughs) She seemed to say. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the Snapters. And I'm just going to read 32 and 33 together. You're going to snap? I'm going to snap them. Them together? Yeah. So it goes like this. The Spren betrayed us. It's often felt. Our minds are too close to their realm that gives us our forms. But more is then demanded by the smartest Spren. We can't provide what the humans lend. Though broth are we, their meat is men. But it is not impossible to blend their surges to ours in the end. It has been promised and it can come. Or do we understand the sum? We question not if they can have us then, but if we dare have them again. So we know that the Parshendi and the Spren have sort of a symbiotic existence. They change forms by going out into a high storm, attracting a certain kind of Spren. That Spren somehow transforms them. We know that at one point, I guess it sounds like some of the Spren started to form these bonds with humans. And this, I think, explains a little bit more why. Because it was more, it was beneficial for the Spren to do so. Right. But we also were told that the Parshendi abandoned their forms. Were we told they abandoned their forms as a way of just avoiding destruction so that they weren't being going to be killed? Or it was more that they were punished and they were subjugated and made slaves, or was it more? So that's what I think we were told by Yasna, but could it be that that's not accurate, that they rejected their spren yes. during the recreants? They, they rejected their spren. They took all took on dull form to get away. It was the only way to get away from their gods. Yeah. The gods forced transformations on them, kind of took over them, in not a symbiotic way, in like a body snatcher way. So that's like their god is like the absolute worst version of a pageant parent. <laughs> Something like that. I don't want to wear these false teeth. <laughs> it's horrifying. But the worst kind. But some of the spren, it sounds like, wanted what the humans had, which we know in the conversations between Shalon and Pattern, that 
the spren gain sentience when they bond with a human. But this seems to indicate that the possibility of the same relationship happening with a Parshendi is conceivable. Right. Or that they might, they might reconcile. So after this epic fight, in chapters 32 and 33, I didn't, th- I didn't think we would get anything else interesting and in yet. part two. And yet we had chapter 34. Mm-hmm. Chapter 34 is called Blossoms and Cake. Shallan is watching as Tin communicates with her contacts in the Shattered Plains. Tin reveals that she's considering collecting the bounty on Vatha and the other deserters. She also reveals that she is the one behind Yasna's assassination. Tin's informants reveal to her that Shallan was Yasna's ward, and Tin realizes that Shallan is, is who she always claimed to be. Tin turns her sword on Shallan, but Shallan defends herself with her shard blade. Vatha and the other men come in and are hella impressed. Tin's contact, unaware of her death, asks if she wants to meet up. Shallan writes a single word in response. Yes. So that's it in a nutshell. But it's a pretty exciting chapter. It is an exciting chapter. I am frustrated that I did not see Tin's connection to the ghost bloods earlier. Yeah, that's pretty sneaky, huh? I mean, it was there. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't incredibly foreshadowed mm-hmm. but there was enough evidence there and i even like I, I mentioned earlier even sort of thought huh they were in the same area right <laughs> probably a coincidence <laughs> there's so many coincidences in books mm-hmm. so uh yeah didn't see it not happy about it but also now the ghost bloods know about shallan what know what about her? So when Tin was reading things back to whoever it is on the other side of the uh, the magic pen there, the person says, we researched the, you know, Devar girl that right. you told us about, and it turns out that she did have a ward. Yasna did have a ward, and it was Shalon Devar who blah, 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 blah. So, in other words, if Tin had not told them, they would not have known that Yasna had a ward. They weren't thinking about it. They weren't, right. And now they are. And now they are. So she's on their radar. Yes, she is. I mean, pretty soon she's going to show up at the Shattered Plains and claim to be engaged to Adel and Colin. So she was going to be on someone's radar at some point. Yeah, but she wasn't necessarily going to be on the Ghostblood's radar. As a connection to Yasna. That's true. Very true. You know, I mean, they're not trying to murder everybody in Yasna's family. (laughs) That we know of. That we know of. (laughs) Other people are doing that. (laughs) You mentioned earlier that Tin was chaotic neutral. I think that might be giving her too much credit. Really? I mean, she was like, she turned and looked at her and was like, ah, shame I'm going to have to kill you. Right. You know, whipped. I mean, like. That's true. It was pretty cold. Pretty cold-blooded. I thought it was interesting also. So Shalon says, she said, specifically she says, when she's talking about summoning the shard blade, she says, but for her, it didn't have to be 10. Right. But then she says, time, I need time. Mm -hmm. And then she 
casts her little illusion thing, mm-hmm. and summons the shard blade. Now, the I need time casting the illusion, mm-hmm. uh, that all makes sense. But her comment that said, for Shallan, it didn't have to be 10. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? Does it mean, is she saying she doesn't have to wait 10 seconds to summon a shard blade? Does she have two shard blades? She's got shard insta blade. <laughs> insta blade. And she's got shard traditional blade. <laughs> this is my most innocent shrug. <laughs> You're batting your eyes. I haven't seen you bat your eyes like that in a long time. <laughs> the white box in her father's room, does it contain an honor blade? And does the honor blade require the soul of someone's mother to power it? I can't tell you that. Your eyes tell me everything I need to know. No, they don't. <laughs> and they say, you're making shit up, Dukes. <laughs> You've gone too far. <laughs> Shallan having ac- access to a span read could be very useful. Yes, only span reads only work with one other person. They have to be tuned to a, a sister span read. So that span read can only talk to the ghost bloods. So it's how long can she pretend to be tin? Yes. It's tricky because if she... She kind of almost has to pretend to be Tin for a while. Otherwise, they're going to get suspicious. It's interesting to watch Shallan decide to go through with this very bold ruse when really the safe bet and what you would expect her to do would be to like scamper into Dalinar's war camp and try to just find safety there and hope things turn out. But she's got the greater mission of trying to find Erythru. And yeah. it's interesting because like the first time I read this, I was kind of frustrated. Like why, 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 like why invite all that drama? Like what does she need? You know, but then I go back and I read how important it was to her to finish Yasna's mission and how kind of distraught she is that she doesn't know how she's going to do that. I think saying yes is the only reasonable answer mm-hmm. because you can say yes Yes, I want to meet and rendezvous with the ghost bloods. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, how will I know? You know, you don't have to go through with actually meeting them and interfacing with them. But by arranging that, you gain intelligence about who they are. Which, given the fact that these are people who are willing to murder and they're trying to achieve the same goal. She's going to have to, she's going to run across them Mm -hmm. unless she simply abandons her mission. Mm -hmm. So having that upper hand and, and knowing who these potentially being able to know who they are before they know who she is to me is, it's the only reasonable choice there. Short of just, it's either that or you send the wagon train in, into the Shattered Plains and your ass runs somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Never to be heard of again. Preferably, preferably Shinovar. Mm. 
Because that's the only goddamn place that would make sense to flee to there. It really does. <laughs> well, that was a hell of a part two. It was. It was a good it was a good ending to that part. Earlier in part two, I was like, I'm starting to get bored of this. Then all that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, just wait. Good stuff. So are you ready to answer some questions from our listeners? Yes, indeedy. I think we might have our most epicest, epic, doorstoppiest, longest list of questions ever. We will try to get through these in the most efficient manner possible. We'll do our best. We'll do what we can. We'll see what happens. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Theogram Brown says... What happened with Wit's flute and the message to Sigzol? Sigzol. That's a really good question. I don't know. Either it happened off camera or Kaladin's a real dick. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> a real selfish asshole. <laughs> Just forgot. Wait, does this message have to do with me? Then no thanks. <laughs> I don't know. Theo asked, you know, did I miss something? I don't think so. I don't think you missed anything. No. 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 He also says, when Shallan was seeing the symbol head creatures, she was seeing multiples. But now she only has Pattern, who is only one. What happened? Who were they? Who were the other ones? And where did they go? Where did they go, Liz? I mean, I think that the Nahel bond is with one spread, yeah. one person. So I think that she could only really see them up until she bonded one. And then at that point, pattern seemed to come fully over I- into their world, even though he was a little bit idiotic when he, when he first did. Bumping into chairs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now that's sort of my, my take on it as well. So I, I agree with you. I think that's what makes the most sense. Theo asks, is Seth now freed from his oath pact because he was wrongly made truthless? I, I question this as well, and I had to think back, and I even threw you a little question on the side about the oath stone and the nature of it. Right. So I feel like, you know, his being sort of bound to Teravangian and his oath to Teravangian is tied to the oath stone and him being a warrior from Shinovar not to him being truthless. He was simply exiled because he was truthless. Or he was forced to become a warrior because he was truthless. It's hard to say. Yeah. So I don't think one necessarily has anything to do with the other. It certainly will be interesting to see what he does with all this now. But I still think he has the oath. I don't think he's freed from that. Next question is, has Sadius been twisted by Odium? That's a really good question. I think Theo goes on to kind of talk about how he at one point was friends with Dalinar and Gavilar and and loved Elicar and wanted to protect him. And that doesn't seem to jive with the character that we see here. One thing that is definitely going on in this book, in this series, is Brandon Sanderson is looks at normal human faults and 
issues that are exacerbated by supernatural powers. And that is a very common theme. And there are, it's, you, it comes up a lot more as the rest of this book. And as we get into the third book, it becomes a lot more evident that that's what's going on. He also asks, how do you catch a shard blade <laughs> with your hands? Dude, he's the Blackthorn. You got that small dick energy. <laughs> Sometimes if it's small enough, it cycles back around to being big. Not really. The energy. I, I don't know what you're talking about. You have taken this too far. <laughs> I think we agree that it's a, it's a preposterous thing that we're just sort of going with. But you know what? Honestly, maybe because it's not horribly overused, it's one of my favorite tropes. The, the sword like the, catch. The sword catch. Yes. When, when a character, you know, is that badass that they can just, they can catch. I mean, All right. season two of Buffy, when she catches that sword. Uh, let's go into the kitchen. You get a butter knife. I want you to swing it at my head. I'm telling you, Mythbusters already did it. Well, I don't, I didn't see that episode. <laughs> he also says, do you think Shalon will ever get to the war camps? Or is it going to be like a song of ice and fire where they almost meet, but then something happens to pull them apart? No, I think she gets there. I, I think there's too many things that sort of have to happen in the plot. So, uh, no, yeah, I think she's going to get there. Theo's last question. Are we surprised that Sadius has apparently refreshed all his slaves in what feels like a relatively short time? Wasn't it like a thousand guys he had in order to efficiently do bridge runs? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and other people commented this too, I think he probably just busted down a bunch of guys to be bridgemen. Eric Allgaier says, among all the fantasy books you've read, do you have a favorite precocious red-headed orphan that lost their principal mentor and their teams, miraculously survived a sinking ship, and later led a party to kill bandits while traveling abroad? Yes. It's Damn! A, it's Aaliyah Atreides. <laughs> if so, do you regard him slash her as not like the other guys slash girls? <laughs> <laughs> She's not like other girls. <laughs> Hoffman Art Gallery says, any early thoughts on who will be covered in the flashbacks for the next book? I do. Yeah. Eshonai. Hmm. I was going to say Eshonai or Yasna. I feel like we're getting Yasna flashbacks. We got oh, a no. Yasna flashback. We got one Yasna yeah. flashback. Because we all know Yasna's not dead, as I predicted. I'm just waiting for confirmation. My eyelashes will give nothing away this time. <laughs> Brian McClure says, have Have you read either the Rhea series or the Age of Myth series by Michael J. Sullivan? And if so, what did you think of them? I actually tried reading the Rear series, and I did not make it very far. I enjoyed the Riera. Rieria? Yes. Uh. I haven't said it out loud. Rieria series. Um, it definitely 
it was a lighter, fun read, a little formulaic, but I enjoyed the characters and I read the whole thing. I haven't read anything by Michael J. Sullivan that I liked. Really? Rieria is the only one I read. Brian also says, Syl tells Kaladin, the one who hates is coming. Do you think she was referring specifically to the assassin in white or to something else? It's a tough question. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Seth, although it could easily also mean odium. Mm -hmm. But here in this instance, I'm going to say, if you're forcing me to pick one, I'm going to say Seth. And he also asked about the the uh, snapters, but I'm going to, we've sort of talked about Yeah, we kind of went over the So I'll leave that. Then he asked, what do you think will happen when Syl and Pattern meet each other? That's a, I think they're not going to like each other. <laughs> they are not going to get along. <laughs> um, Brian McClure also asks favorite quotes from this section. I mean, mine is obviously... No apologize, boots. <laughs> <laughs> that and Tinge is going, how's your horn eater? And Shalon going, what? And going, too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian McClure also asks, how far into Warbreaker are you? Far enough. Far enough. We shall see. I've been reading Warbreaker. Mm-hmm. There'll be some Warbreaker stuff coming. It's coming. It's coming. Susan says, do you think Sadius is going to have a change of heart or some sort of outward change of heart? He seems to be doing some sort of soul searching, even though he doesn't have much soul to search. (laughs) It seems to me his wife leads him more than we had perhaps originally realized. I don't think he's doing any soul searching. And I don't think he could have a change of heart that anyone would buy. Agreed after his last... Stunt that he pulled. Stunt. That little stunt you pulled. Already played that card. Out on the Shattered Plains, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Detention for you. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he will. Gordon Ross asks... Does the name Pattern annoy you? We are constantly reminded that Shallan is a scholarly genius, so shouldn't she have been capable of something more imaginative than the Spren equivalent of Rufus? Or Mr. Perzalot? That's funny. And Eric Allgaier replied and said, Not all gingers are good at naming. (laughs) (laughs) Ian Drazis says, When Seth arrives, does Syl remind you of the girl in the Poltergeist movie? He's here. That little girl's freaky. Yeah. Whatever happened to that little girl? I I don't know. Did she become an actress in anything else, I wonder? I'm not sure. Good questions, everyone. That was a creepy section, though. Bravo. The whole section with Seth. Yeah. Cutting his way into the hallway, and the, it, was, it was really good. Well done. Yeah. Bravo, Mr. You Sanderson. You know who would make a good Seth? Who? Elijah Wood. You were not the first person to mention that. Really? In our fantasy casting. Oh, that's Elijah, probably why that... Elijah Wood was... All right, are you ready for predictions? I'm ready. All right, predictions. So my first one is Shalon is drawing uh, 
the mistress, so which we've already talked about. Also, Seth wields an honor blade. Mm-hmm. I think which is why he does not need to be bonded to a Spren. Okay. I think Seth is going to still be an assassin, although he may not be truthless in his mind. He still has that oath stone tied to Teravangian, so I still think he's going to become an assassin. And now I just think he's going to be even more conflicted okay. about what he's doing. And then my final prediction is that Amaram is in bed with the Ghostbloods. Okay. You know he is. You know he is. You can find us at the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. That is our website. That is where we put our podcasts and our show notes before they hit your feeds on your iTunes and Stitchers and all that jazz. You can find us on Twitter at the D Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. And also look for our Facebook group page, which is where 80 to 90 percent of the interaction has been happening recently, though the Twitter feed is coming back. All right. That's excellent. Since our Twitter got destroyed and had to be re- rebuilt from scratch, it's coming back around. We also do hang out on Reddit, theoretically, and also on Instagram. And Goodreads. And Goodreads, yes. And if you have any questions for Dear Duchess, you can email advice at com, and Dear Duchess will give you her advice. Need an old family recipe? What to tell your teenager before prom? She's here for you. If you like what you've heard here, share about it, tell a friend, give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, any of those. Those help us out. And more than anything, just hang out with us. We like chatting with you guys. So we'll talk to you in episode 83, where we will be reading from the interludes uh, in between parts two and three up through chapter 38 of Words of Radiance. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.